Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Huey Newsom is in transition. Out of public service as Chief Financial Officer of Wayne County, Michigan, and into the role of Chief Financial Officer at the Piston Group, a private investment platform founded in 1996 by auto industry magnate and NBA champion Vinnie Johnson. Newsom is on a mission within the automotive sector to grow electric vehicle demand to critical mass through the investment and profitability needed to dominate industry production and infrastructure. In this episode of the Sustainable Finance Podcast, we will hear from Huey Newsom about the broad continuum of sustainable finance acceptance from early adopters to industry laggards and how current and pending public policy can encourage laggards and reward leaders. Hello, Huey, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Good morning, and it's such an honor to be here with you, Paul. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Uh, I know that we're going to enjoy today's program, and we're going to jump right in with the first question here. So, Huey, U.S. mobility industry companies and consumers are all over the map, literally and figuratively, when it comes to EV performance, demand, and adoption. Please tell us what some of the issues are regarding competitive advantage and long-term strategy. Well, thank you very much, Paul, um, for that question, because I think it's, it is a little complicated. If you look at it from the consumer standpoint, you have the infrastructure issues that are dominating, um, kind of dominating the consumer right now. And range anxiety around EVs, we're getting better, right? We're, we're you know looking at roughly 350 to 450 mile range on a full charge right now for, for an EV, depending on the vehicle model, uh, make and model. Um, you know, that's probably one of the bigger issues. Obviously, cost is a big issue. This is, you know, this is this is timely because Tesla announced its reduction in um, in model price in uh, suggested model price, which means that the uh, that others are going to follow suit. And Ford must the Ford Mustang EV um, Ford just announced that they're going to uh, cut their MSRP um, as well. Manufacturers suggested retail price, by the way. Okay, so. Um, so we're seeing the price reductions, but you also have the infrastructure issues that are dominating the consumer right now as well. Now, if you look at it from the from the manufacturers, obviously you have the OEMs, which are your original equipment manufacturers, your Fords, your GMs, your Teslas. Um, and for them, it's a matter of how do we the, the capital investment necessary for us to and, and then the, for us to make money. And then on top of that, that return on invested capital, that return on investment, if you will, um, think about what it takes to make an, you know, an, an EV, make a plant, you know, mobilize a plant, if you will, for it to be able to make EVs. That's a huge capital investment. And it's not just at the assembly point, at the final assembly point, that's throughout the supply chain. So you also have to, you know, depending on which which suppliers you're dealing with, you also have to um, invest somewhat, if you will, in terms of money and also in terms of intellectual capital as you're working with your suppliers to develop that technology, right? And so you think about the gargantuan amount of money it takes to shift from ICE, which is your internal internal combustion engine, over to um, over to EVs. It's a huge investment. And there's a lot of pressure. 
in the automotive in the automotive industry in general to make money. Um, you know, there are you know metrics upon metrics upon metrics around return on equity, return on sales, return on assets, and that's throughout the industry. So profitability is a huge question mark right now. Tesla has has success. Obviously, they they began as an electric car maker, if you will. But the other uh, more traditional OEMs have struggled a little bit more because they have not had to divest themselves out of the ICE, the internal combustion engine, into the EV. And so that transition cost is something that dominates um, decision-making in those boardrooms as well. Now, I'm glad you brought that up because the boardroom is intimately connected to the asset management industry. Yes. Of the related to this industry and, and, and other major industries, obviously. So how is the asset management industry meeting the demands of an investor community that does see the long term value uh, of current risk exposure in the mobility sector and uncertainty for the industry's near term future um, and management practices? Is, is there enough demand in the long run to curb carbon and transition to net zero emissions in the U.S.? It's a great question. Um, first of all, I guess you know, I'm going to I'm going to put to the side the chicken and the egg issue right now because you know you got the chicken and the egg problem, which said which says okay, does the consumer come first? And consumers looking at the industry to say, give me more vehicles, give me more choice, and give me the infrastructure so I can charge my vehicle. So you have that going on. When you look at the invest the institution investor community, there's a mix, at least from my vantage point. There's definitely a mix. You do have those you know socially responsible investors that are looking at the mobility and the transportation sectors as a a way to really springboard decarbonization in our world, right? If you think about carbon, you know, carbon emissions, one of the biggest polluters that we have are our vehicles, right? And that's not just our in resident, you know, our, our individual vehicles. We're also talking about on a commercial standpoint as well. And so thinking about how that transition will work, the, you know, the automotive industry, the transportation industry is a great target for decarbonization. The problem is you still have that mix of traditional investors that are still very focused on financial returns as opposed to you know, short-term financial returns as opposed to the long-term financial returns, uh, as well as making sure that we've assessed those long-term climate-related, greenhouse gas-related risks that are built, that are not properly quantified for right now in our current risk models across the board, right? We, that's starting to grow, right? You're starting to grow with ESG and similar principles. And so, you know, you kind of, you kind of got this conflict I would argue with the share at the shareholders meeting, which is because you have some that are focused on, you know, very traditional financial short range uh, returns. But at the same time, you have those longer focused, more socially responsible investors as well. And everybody you know, wants profitability at some point. Right. And so who's going to, you know, the chicken and the egg problem. Are we going to get to the point that we're properly pricing in risk? Right. They were modeling risk, those long term, even social risks. We look at the environmental risk, but also the social risk as well. Are we modeling those in? Are we rewarding for risk mitigation? Right. And then on the flip side, when it talk, comes to profitability, are we giving consumers um, an option? Right. Are we giving consumers an option that's viable for them to make that switch from ICE to EV? So 
It sounds, Huey, like we're talking about, in at least in the near term, a, a fundamental disconnect regarding the risk yes. mitigation principles surrounding ESG measurement and addressing those risks, yet um, we're not properly valuing them um, in the marketplace and investors are not. And um, that being the case, what kinds of opportunities does this create for long-term investors who do see the, the long-term value there? Well, a couple, a couple of things, right? I mean, one thing that, you know, one thing that long-term focused investors are looking for is, you know, a, a level playing field. So does you know, does, a, does a regulatory market does regulatory uh, the regulatory's bodies give us that capability right so we see that the SEC is at least making progress in terms of rolling out a rule I believe April of this year is going to be when the rule goes live when organizations have to disclose at least disclose what they're doing in terms of greenhouse gases. So that that starts the process, right? And obviously, in the United States, we're a little bit further behind in terms of assessing and understanding what these risks look like and rewarding risk mitigation, which I think is critical when you talk about you know, invest, institutional investors. You go across the pond to Europe; they've been more, that's been more built into the way that the, the regulatory bodies are addressing publicly traded organizations um, in the private sector. And so will we get there in the U.S.? Um, my hope is that there will be a trigger, right? If it's a regulatory trigger or, or for some more traditionally economic-based trigger, is it going to be gas at five, $5.50 a gallon uh, on a sustained level, along with um, a federal investment or cooperative investment into increasing our infrastructure for recharging? Right. I don't know what it looks like. I think it might be a mixture of both. But, you know, the challenge is, you know, particularly here in the U.S., we do um, we do have a very short term focus in terms of in terms of, in terms of gasoline pricing. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the consumers that are lower earners if you will, on an, on an annual basis, are the ones that um, have the most difficulty dealing and have the have the least ability to transition over to EVs if EVs are priced you know, too high, right? So now you've got a, a political problem and a social problem because those that, those are the, that are more um, responsive, but also the more sensitive to increased gas prices from an economic standpoint are the ones we're going to be mostly concerned about from a political and social standpoint. So what's that trigger? What does that trigger look like? Um, I don't know the answer to the question, but I feel like it's going to be a combination of several things. And I think the SEC's rule is going to be very helpful in rewarding investors, at least to um, expose some of the risks that are not mitigated by bad actors, if you will, but also um, rewarding those who are good actors. Yes. Now, we're referring, we're referencing the SEC's uh, incoming rules and infrastructure about carbon reporting. That's uh, in that focus is there in the public markets where uh, in 2022, as you know, ESG-based ETFs, exchange-traded funds, were outperformed by the S&P 500 in a down year for, for everyone. Um, now, you're focusing now on building 
valuation into private market companies and that's that's a, a whole different animal right because it's it's not as subject to sec scrutiny yet Wait, well it will get there as you know i'm sure uh, that will happen over time what is about what about that what's the what, what's the public market perspective versus private market perspective Great question. And so, you know, being the CFO, the newly minted CFO, I think I just hit my two month anniversary. <laughs> um, the good the good and bad of it is um, obviously, you know, looking at looking at it from a shorter term focus, it's going to cost us a little bit more money to play in this in, to play in this in the sandbox. But we should be doing it, in my humble opinion. I'm, hopefully the CEO might not agree with me, but it it is what it is. Um, but in all seriousness, I think, you know, what's going to happen, there's this trickle down effect, right? So if you look at publicly traded companies, they're going to be the ones that are most exposed. But because of the, the language of the rules, which require the disclosure of the impact throughout the supply chain, we're going to, we as a private, as a private company, we don't trade shares in the, in the open, in the public market. We're going to have to work with our customers who are the, the OEMs to help them, to help them um, account for greenhouse gas emissions, right? And one thing that, because the pendulum is starting to swing in the, I would argue the right direction, one thing that we're taking going to do is if we're going to account for this to feed into our customers, we're also going to do certain things to make sure that, you know, in our, in our general approach to the general public in terms of marketing, we're also going to talk about the things we're doing on the E side and also the S side as well, which I think is you know, just as critical. And so, um, you know, there's a in the conversations that we've had to this point, you know, it's really around, hey, we're going to follow our customer, right? Which means the customer is going to tell us what they're going to um, what what they're going to value the most. Now, as the as the regulatory world and the institutional investor world says more vociferously, if you will, that we, you know, we want you to manage these risks. We want to make sure you have a way to identify, assess these risks and mitigate these risks in the long term. And we're going to reward you for that, right? And go back to 2022. I'm hoping that that, you know, I'm hoping that that was a blip, that was kind of a blip in the radar, right? If you take a one-year time horizon, then you know you do have the you know the short you know the shorting of the um, S and P five hundred in terms of ESG ETFs, it it happens. But if you take a longer range view, I think if you go backwards looking, take a longer longer range view, those ESG ETFs did outperform the S and P five hundred. It depends on the the time frame that you look at. But also as we get more educated, right? As you know this this climate. This climate rule that's coming out from the SEC is going to start a lot of conversations. There's going to be friction, right? We already know that there are going to be lawsuits and you know resistance from the more conservative, you know, from a political standpoint. And I'm not a politician, but we already know that there are going to be lawsuits and, and resistance from from the. But the the conversation will shift to a point that we start really talking about how do we identify um, those risk mitigation practices and reward them. In the long run. So while I think 2022 is something to take, you know, to kind of take note of, I think as you take a longer term view, both backwards looking and forward looking, we're going to get to a point that we're more savvy and we're going to identify that everyone's going to be more savvy in terms of identifying, assessing and rewarding the mitigation of these risks. 
Huey, you know, that's a very important point. Let's talk a little bit now about the EV infrastructure that is so badly needed to drive the cycle of private capital investment. As as we both know, these rules initially are going to focus primarily on the OEMs in, in your industry because that's where scope one and two emissions originate. Um, probably down the line, obviously, there will be more focus on scope three emissions within the supply chain. Uh, but it's going to require a lot of industry ingenuity uh, and a focus on consumer adoption to get to anywhere near the net zero mobility emissions here in the U.S. Talk a little bit about that, what you see down the road related to uh, net zero emissions in the long run. So, so if, let's start with scope one, scope two, and scope three, right? Sure. So, if, in, unless I'm mistaken, your scope three is not fully part of the rule that's going to come out of come out from the SEC. But I, I would argue that at some point the SEC is going to require, assuming that this rule, the rule layout is 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 a success, I'm going to assume that at some point scope three is going to be in scope. So here's here's the challenge, right? If you can imagine what is what it's like this, you know, for your traditional finance and accounting people, just imagine what it's like to go through an, a, f- a traditional financial audit where you have to account for every single dollar, right? And you have to just you have to in this very mature process for a financial audit to take place, go through test, you know, test how you do accounts receivable, accounts payable, how you can, how you close the books. on a monthly, quarterly, or annual basis, right? Now, just imagine what that looks like to the point that somebody has to sign off on it on a a publicly uh, publicly available 10K or 10Q, right? And you're talking about GSG emissions. We don't have the the technology necessary for us, you know, like your traditional ERPs, right? Think about what an ERP looks like for greenhouse gas emissions. That level of scrutiny and that level of assurance, assurance, right? So if we're going to get to a point, there's going to have to be a lot more investment in terms of how we measure and communicate G- and account for GHG emissions. Right now, we don't even, you know, a lot of companies don't measure at all, right? We depend on, you know, I might depend on my customer and my customers depend on me, particularly when you talk about scope three. But if you're going to get to a point that you're truly net zero, how do you not account for inbound materials, inbound components, inbound assemblies, and understand the GHG composition of those of those components and assemblies? It's impossible. So there's going to be a gargantuan effort in terms of the technology, in terms of the standards, in terms of the education necessary for me to be able to say that the production of a car is net zero. Right. And that's a very aggressive goal. If you look at the calendar, it's 2023. A lot of companies have net zero commitments, 2025, 2030. You're talking about, you know, it take it took us decades to get to this point in terms of our, our maturity in the in the accounting sector, right? Think about how we have to get there to the point that we say net zero on a on a 10 on a 10K for a publicly traded company, 
right? And somebody has to put their name on that. We're a long way from there. So that's why I'm excited and nervous, right? Because I'm a CFO of a tier one. And so at some point, I'm going to get that knock on the door that says, hey, help, you know, can you account for these, these GHG emissions? You know, you're going to have to, somebody's going to have to put their name to this. So I'm nervous, but I'm also excited because you know, we, we will get to that point. And I think that, you know, once we get to that point, we truly have advanced and made strides to get our, you know, our national goals as well as our international goals to get to net zero, to get to one and a half degrees Celsius. Well, Huey, best of luck, and we hope you get there first uh, in, the, in the private markets and for competitive purposes. Uh, let's talk now where, about where online our listeners can go to learn more about Piston Group's several lines of mobility industry business. And how can they contact you to learn more about the issues that we've discussed in today's Sustainable Finance Podcast episode? You can go to www.pistongroup.com um, to learn more about um, our, you know, our strategy around electrification. Um, and, you know, in the next, I say in the next month, you will see an old kind of an overhaul of how we communicate about, you know, DEI and ESG because it's my assignment. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you'll see you in, in the in the very near future, you'll see uh, more language around our commitment to electrification, uh, you know, why we feel that it's a strategic direction, both, you know, from for, as in terms of social responsibility, but also in terms of the bottom line, why we think electrification is so important and our commitment to the principles of DEI and ESG. You can also contact me directly at H N E W. S-O-M is in Mary E at Piston Group, you know, with comments, suggestions, support. Um, but, you know, all that is very welcome. Huey, thanks so much for your time today. We didn't even touch on DE&I. Well, there, there's uh, so much going on related to all of the other issues. We'll come back to that in a future program. And so I, thanks. I certainly hope so. Yes, we certainly will. Well, thanks again to Huey Newsom, the Chief Financial Officer at the Piston Group. And to our listeners, join me again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Sustainable.